the True Seeker Forum and uh, the YouTube channel Dimension Walking. Thanks guys for coming on today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yes. Thanks for being had. <laughs> um, they're committed to the ongoing research and exploration of enlightened uh, discussion of the paranormal. So they have a lot of interesting stories that you're going to see today um, are just actually phenomenal in areas that people haven't really done a whole lot of research in. So I think you're going to um, really be surprised with some of the uh, discussions we're going to have today. So let's start off with, since you guys have like a very background, um, explain a bit to both of you. Sure. Uh, well, I think for Michael and I, we have like, Michael figured out like 50 years of experience in the paranormal field. And for me, I just, I think everybody can relate to this. I was born into it from childhood, just experiences happening, the hauntings, um, you know, the infamous, you know, ghosts in the closet kind of thing, um, abductions, memories of the grays, uh, just a, a, a lot of different things that happened um, just from, I think, being in a family that was generationally mm -hmm. um, associated with abductions even though they didn't know it. Um, I, I found out later that I, that, that I, I truly believe that many, many people in this field are generationally involved in, you know, the alien agenda. Mm -hmm. So um, on my end, it was just being born into it and just dealing with it. So, you know, with me, I, I'm, I guess a little bit more of a researcher, although I do believe I've been abducted. Uh, my kids have, they don't like to admit it, but they all have some really incredible experiences, uh, alien beings of some sort. I mean, one of my, my oldest daughter, you know, she would wake up at night and speaking completely different languages. Um, she would talk about, uh, you know, hooded, uh, individuals at the, you know, at the end of her bed that would kind of communicate with her. My middle daughter, she tells a kind of a famous quick story in which she would be, she was very sick, stayed home from school. It was at like middle school when we lived in uh, uh, Peachtree City, Georgia. And all of a sudden a, a ball of, of, a small ball of light would come and completely scan her body. I, we can only assume it was checking to see if she was all right. Mm -hmm. I, my guess is they were, you know, checking her out. Uh, and, you know, my other daughter, my youngest daughter, she uh, she talks very little bit about it, but uh, she seems to shake her head up and down when she's listening to her other sisters talk about it. Um, you know, and my sisters had my older sister, my, well, she's, she's yeah, she would be, no, she'd be my oldest sister because I have si other sisters. Yeah. So anyway, she had out-of-body experiences when she was in Ireland um, and we also, I did, she's a doctor, so we've done some pretty major research, uh, abduction, abductee research in the Appalachian Mountains, um, and when she, we both lived over in that corner of the country. Um, 
and you know, I did the UFO forum um, in New Mexico, um, and we had guests from all over the world. And I was I worked for aerospace companies or work did work for aerospace companies. Had the great privilege of talking to scientists and and other engineers, etc., about the subject of UFOs, etc. So, uh, so in all that, I've, I've gained some pretty pretty interesting knowledge of the field that I believe truly is connected. All this stuff that we talk about has connections to each other. Um, Absolutely. So. Um, I think I think it's important to note one thing that you kind of um, said. My parents did not do this, which was speak with me about the paranormal and things like that. I think it is so important to do that with kids so they understand what they're going through. Um, because I know with my daughter, who's woken up just terrified, you know, in the middle of the night, um, you know, when beings are taking her, you know, it was like I didn't have this frame of reference that I really had to develop for her that was you know, not to scare her, but to give her enough information to understand what was happening and to not be afraid. And yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, it's, um, I, I just want, I'm wondering what your guys' experiences are with that and how um, did you kind of teach your kids to be okay with it? Well, on my end, because of my experiences, my parents thought I had religious visions because they were devout Catholics. And so they thought that I was having, uh, cause I would sleepwalk mm -hmm. and I would wake up screaming and talking about all these scary things happening to me. And because of, uh, I was very lucky because when I was 19, I, I kind of went into the medicine way. I started studying with medicine, men and women. Mm -hmm. And so I got a better understanding of what was going on. And so when I had my daughter, I was able to create a foundation for her so that when she did wake up and was scared, I could talk to her and, and talk her through it and, and help her understand that it wasn't something necessarily to be afraid of because I was there and I understood what was going on. So she said, mommy, there's someone outside my window uh, wanting to play with me or someone's in my closet or she would you know she would ask me questions about aliens and things that I knew she didn't hear from anyone else because I didn't really talk about that as a you know when she was very young so I would explain things to her like it's just a matter of fact thing so that she's grown up with it as a matter of fact thing nothing big deal and I think that if you know, then she's kind of had a normal life and if we can do that for our kids that's great yeah, and I, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I I did basically the same thing with my kids. I pretty much normalized it as much as humanly possible. But during my years of talking to people, there would be, there was a period of time and when I lived in Georgia where people would come to me and say, hey, listen, my kid had this boogeyman or something in the closet, or little people would come, we people would come and talk to them. And, you know, they made it into a big deal. And I said, no, go back. And, and a lot of times I was very angry with, uh, with the parents. I said, go back to them, tell them it's all right. Talk to them about it. You know, kind of leave it at a very normal type situation. Engage them <laughs> with it. And if they want to go and talk to these little people or or whatever's in the closet, let them do it. It's not a big deal. It yeah. really wasn't. And, you know, a lot of them come back. Well, thank you. The kids were all excited about it. And now it's kind of like, oh, well, it's, it's not a big deal. I'm not, scared. I'm not afraid of it anymore. The kids aren't afraid of it. And the parents kind of had a little better understanding. It was a little tough for the parents, mm -hmm. but the kids are real easy for generally. If you're if you kind of keep it normal, if you're all freaked out, they're going to be freaked out yeah, too. So sure. 
the important thing was not freak out, just relax. Nothing bad's going to happen. These little creatures have been around for a very, very long time. They're going to be around for a very long time, and they're really not here to hurt anybody. Yeah. They're just not. That's not the case. Well, I know for my, my daughter, she, I don't, um, I haven't worked with berries before, but she has um, absolutely, she works with them often. And uh, I know um, her father was very um, concerned because um, he worked with them as a child as well, and he had some very frightening experiences. So, he uh, was speaking to her about it and got her very upset and riled up about it and say, listen, there is nothing to be afraid about because she wasn't afraid before that conversation. So I really had to kind of go back and do damage control because that's kind of what my my parents um, with me very much wanted to make me afraid of it. Like, no, 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 this is not something you want to go into as well. I was from a Catholic background and they just didn't understand it. And I think um, really because they haven't acknowledged it. That's my, I mean, that's my honest opinion. But um, I think we're finally getting to an age right now where we can speak about this openly with our children and it's becoming more normal. So hopefully that's the way kind of things are going. But um, I want to ask you who um, or what introduced you to the kind of many worlds theory and how did you guys learn about dimension jumping? Oh, gosh. Well, the, the dimension jumping was something that as a child I learned. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, w- it had to do with uh, the experience I had when I would go to sleep and, um, and, and things that I was taught. And so I, I kind of was integrated into it from a, a very early age. So for me, um, as I got older, it was something more natural for mm-hmm. me to do. And it was something that uh, as time progressed, um, you know, I just was also taught some things in the medicine way with uh, a medicine man that I was married to, Thunderbow, and then with other medicine people uh, who I was studying with. The, the Native Americans, actually, they they call it walking in two worlds. Mm-hmm. And so they, in order for them to do their medicine, and to heal people, they they have to go different locations, see what different spirits are. If there's there's something happening to somebody because of this, just say for instance a curse or whatever they think it's a curse, or somebody was really sick, they have to go in and into the body and see how to how to heal the body. But they go into the ethereal world to do it. So the the very powerful medicine men and women that I studied with were able to walk into worlds on a daily basis. And so from that experience with them and being connected with them and learning from them, I learned how to do it. There's so much wisdom from the tribal communities that needs to be gleaned. I think that we have just, as a society overlooked, I mean, there's so much infinite wisdom. And I really think that just connecting back to the earth is truly the answer for everybody to have their own um, discoveries. Would you agree? Oh yeah. And what about yourself, Mike? What was your experience? Uh, my, my connection was more uh, from a research-based, uh, uh, you know, uh, jumping, portal jumping. Uh, you know, my, my story I kind of tell is the Albulic story, uh, which uh, probably about 10 years ago I had the, uh, and, and a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do know who Albulic was or is. Well, was. He's, he passed away. But, uh, yeah, Al was a guy. He was a scientist. He was quite a genius, PhD in physics. And he was the one that was involved with the Philadelphia experiment. 
so he has some vast wisdom. He's, he's a very controversial figure. I mean, he talks about, you know, being reincarnated and, and being here several times and it goes on and on. I, I had an opportunity, really a, a really fortunate opportunity by accident, basically, uh, to interview him for about five hours. And we talked about everything. I mean, I could do probably several shows just on what Al Bulick says. But uh, the point about it is he talked about that they would send them to uh, jump rooms around the world. Uh, he told me at the time he thought there was like 13 of them. Two of them were actually in New Mexico. One was at the um, uh, Sandia Labs, actually Kirtley, Kirkland Air Force, but which is kind of the same thing in Albuquerque. But uh, anyways, he said there was a jump room there and there was another one in Los Alamos. Um, and he said that he had jumped. He had actually did a porter jump uh, several times to Mars and also to the moon, uh, which they also have uh, the jump room, the ending jump room. There's a beginning jump room that you jump into, a space you jump into, and then you're transported uh, uh, by that. And, and a lot of it had to do with mind, too. He did talk about mind. I honestly don't remember all that part of that conversation, but it was a uh, he, he said that they taught you how to get into your mind and then you were able to, with whatever they supplied you in the jump room, to, to make them move. And it was very quick, he said. As far as he knows, he doesn't even remember any kind of a time loss. He was just there. So, so anyways, uh, that was really where my, uh, you know, my kind of uh, uh, dip in the water was on that. And uh, I always thought it was really fascinating. And just having an interview with Al Bielik was absolutely, absolutely incredible because he did that in many ways. He did that when him and his brother jumped off the ship at the Philadelphia experiment and jumped into the water because then the story goes, according to him, they ended up in Montauk, uh, which is, again, a whole nother subject that mm -hmm. I guess we talk about because Montauk is something that I have some pretty, pretty uh, amazing information on in my own personal journey with Montauk. Yeah, please do. So, please do speak about that because I think that's an amazing uh, story that you have. speak about it now? Talk about it now? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. Um, so it kind of all started out for me is a series of synchronicities. And I'm just, I can't, this is very long. So I'm going to give you a really the abbreviated version. So I was up in Mount Shasta doing some meditation on Mount Shasta. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's some beings and some creatures in the mountain itself. And I made a somewhat of a connection there with them. But that really hadn't, I don't think it had anything to do with Montag at the time. It may not. Have, I mean, it just may have been coincidental. But I went into the little town, um, which is Mont Shasta. I think it's called Mont Shasta, I think it's called. And it's a beautiful, lovely little town right at the base of the mountain. And there's a bookstore there. And when I walked through the book, it's a wonderful kind of metaphysical bookstore. I walked into the bookstore and I literally will tell you, I, I've never had this happen before, but literally the book jumped off the shelf mm -hmm. the book was mm -hmm. the first in the series of i think it's about six or seven books and i've read all the books and i read a few extra ones that other people have written about montauk and the book was um montauk the i think it's and i'm, I'm probably got the word the the words a little messed up but i think it's uh, montauk the adventures uh travels or something in time and it kind of tells the whole story of Montag, et cetera. So I read, I read a part of the book actually right there. And then I bought the book, took it home. At the time, lived in Tucson, Arizona. 
And I took it home and I read the rest of the book. And then from there, I read a couple other books and I had a series people that were in the book. I ended up meeting. Okay. Which was really strange because most people at the time never, if you ask somebody, what about the Montag uh, project Montag or Montag project? People look at you. They didn't know what it was, but I ran into in Tucson. I actually interviewed um, the mother. uh, I'm sorry, the daughter of one of the scientists that was also involved at Montauk and the Philadelphia experiment also with Al Bulick just happened to, I don't want to say I ran into her, but I sort of just ran into her and I like crazy. And then I moved to Albuquerque and in Albuquerque, well, there there was some other things In, in Tucson. There was some experiences where I would go to the bookstore and buy the next book and I walk out of the bookstore and there was a huge UFO sitting just sitting there now we've had a lot of i had a lot of ufo experiences but it it twice happened buying books which i thought was really odd and then so then i moved to albuquerque and in albuquerque i met a person there and i'm not going to name any names a person there that actually in interviewed or actually did hypnotherapy on what they call the boys of montauk i don't know if you're familiar with it at all but these were the people that were sent on the time machine into the future. Mm-hmm. And they were a group of people. Some of them were homeless people from New York City. Some people were not homeless. Some people were just kind of elites that they grabbed and see, would put young them on. Men. A, young, young yeah, men. All young. They seem to be young men. Yeah. Boys, actually. That's what they call mm-hmm. Montauk boys. Yep. And they would they would go there. Well, anyway, she had interviewed. <clears throat> she had actually hypnotherapy. Uh, a series of these these people, which was incredible. And she became a good friend of mine. And uh, together we started the uh, UFO Forum there in um, uh, Paranormal UFO Forum in Albuquerque. But anyways, she also contacted, and she was the one that got uh, Al Bulick and I together. And there was, you know, there was just a series of things that happened. And there was another gentleman there at this meeting that he was also part of Montauk too, that I got to meet. I didn't really talk to him that much, but I got to meet and it was, it was very strange. And then <clears throat> it even gets crazier. In fact, it, you know, some you of it. You talk about Raven, the wolf. Yeah. Yeah. No. And they're in here that um, Michael and I both had met this wolf Raven mm-hmm. um, who was the ambassador for uh, the wild wolf, a sanctuary um, in New Mexico, and I can't remember what area, but the director was Leighton Cooper, and I met Leighton. So Michael had met Leighton uh, ahead of time, too, which was really interesting. And we didn't know each other. And we didn't know each other, but but one thing about Raven is he would always bring people together, and there was an experience with Raven and then Bulick, right? Well, yeah. Well, what what, what happened was um, we're sitting there and I'm talking to Al Bulick and all of a sudden we're all sitting there. We're all eating. We're eating in this living in, in room, a house, in a house. It's in a house. We're eating at this. Living, we have a little, uh, you know, uh, tables in front of us. And we're all eating dinner and we're talking. And all of a sudden I look up and there's this huge freaking wolf. I mean, it was huge. And it was and, and we're sitting at our little tables and here this wolf. I mean, it's way above us. It's huge. Yeah, he's it's like a black faced timber wolf. Is what and, he is. and it was, was this thing is walking and it's smelling our food. 
And we, I don't know. Nobody knows where this wolf came from. It's like it came from a portal. It's the craziest thing. So we're, this wolf is walking through there and it's smelling us, looking at us and walking. We're all like petrified. They're looking and it walks around the room. No problem. And walks out the door and walks out the, out of the room. And then this wow. So then Lane Cougar comes in, the guy that's the handler and, you know, he introduced and it was all cool and everything, but it was just, it was really strange. Because when yeah. you're with in the presence of Al Bulick, you never knew what was going to happen. And the, the other thing that's so strange about this man, he's a narcoleptic. And so he is talking, <laughs> he's talking in the middle of these very intense conversations, and he falls asleep on you. It's the craziest thing. And then all of a sudden, everybody else keeps on talking. He's sleeping there. And all of a sudden, he wakes up, and he continues the conversation. So we all turn our heads and listen to him for a few more minutes. And then he falls asleep and we go talk to ourselves. And it, it's crazy. It was just, I mean, I, I get all excited just talking about it because it was so much fun. It was like, it was one of those experiences that you never expected would have happened yeah. on, on that particular day because you just kind of, hey, somebody calls you, come over and have a little meeting. We're, we're having a movie crew over. We're talking about, holy crap, the whole thing is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that was, that was sort of how Rainbow and I met indirectly, weirdly, because at the well, time we didn't know each other. I was told about Michael and then uh, by Noria, Norio Hayakawa, and he's an amazing That's man. another story. It's another story, but he was one of the first people to go to Area 51, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So. Anyways, um, so I go to the meeting because I heard there was a, a dog whisperer that was going to be at this meeting. And, and so Noya wanted me to meet Michael, too. And so I walk into the meeting and I've had Leighton and Raven in my house because I actually did a photo shoot with Raven at the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And so I walk in, there's Raven, there's Leighton. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Because he's a uh, wolf whisperer. I mean, this man is amazing and I, he goes i'm talking and i'm like they said there was a dog whisper dog going to be talking here and he's like no no it's me and so so i knew layton and raven came over to me and then we were just hanging and then that's how i met michael but i mean you just would not expect to, you know to have all these these synchronicities between all all of this and i believe that there were some um stories that layton had to say actually about that, that was similar to Albulic in a way too. I mean, I can't speak for him, but it was, just, everything's connected in so many different ways. And it's just like, and that's how I met Michael. And it's just like, you know, I, I used to hang out with this wolf and Leighton and, you know, it was just amazing. I've so, also had a, just a real quick to throw in there. I've also had a pretty amazing wolf experience with my ex-husband and, um, and, uh, and my, and my daughter and his kids. Um, a wolf, we were driving from uh, California to Utah um, for a vacation, and we were, I think, just getting into Utah, and a wolf came out of the mountains down to the car and was just staring at me, and people were, we're at this gas station, <laughs> and people were, like, freaking out, like, what are they doing? They never come down, you know, from the mountains, like, this is absolutely nuts, and um, I got some video of it as well, and um, it was pretty amazing. It was just staring at me. And um, it was at that point, like I, I got some memories, you know, from my, my past experiences with wolves, but that I didn't recall until that moment. But it was a pretty beautiful experience as well. No, oh, yeah. Is. When they, they connect with you, yeah. it's like, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So it keeps on going. So anyways, I had 
years later, I get a call from an old friend in Atlanta. I used to help a person that did the, the UFO forum in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And she, she was an amazing person. She she did all kinds of really interesting things all her life. But anyways, come to find out, she you know, doesn't know much about me because it's many years have passed. And she tells me, she says, you know, a guy named uh, Duncan Cameron, Cameron Duncan, I think his name is Cameron Duncan. Yeah, Cameron Duncan. Anyways, he turns out to be Al Bulick's stepbrother. Step, yeah, stepbrother. That's correct. And he was also on the ship, the Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. And she ended up dating him, and which is so bizarre. Yeah. Here's another synchronicity. Yeah. Here's an old friend that ends up dating the other part of this equation. And both of them, and she said, he told me, he told her all these same stories, how they were on the ship, how they jumped overboard, and they ended up in this portal, and this portal took them to Montauk. And he talked about his time, his time when he was in the time machine. Now, the brother, uh, Cameron Duncan, he was actually um, the one of the people that actually went on the time machine. It was so many thousands of years, and it was like 5,000 years in the future. And he was the one that saw... There was a there was a statue, and, and if you read the books, if you're familiar with it, there was a statue. It was like a golden statue. It was um, it was like a horse, like a I don't want to say a Trojan horse, but they made it look like it in the book. And that was the thing. That was the trigger. That if you got to that horse, mm-hmm. somehow they could determine that you had gone five thousand years into the future. And that was the key thing. And apparently, he had seen it. Most of them never got that far. By the way, some of the people that got in the time machine, some of those people, they never came back. They never came back. Explain what happened with um, one of the gentlemen actually became part of the ship. Oh, uh, well, he was he was a Navy crew member. Yes, I didn't tell you that. That was supposedly one of Al Bulick's and that would have been Duncan's Duncan Cameron's. Uh, a relative. I don't know what if it was a cousin or what it was, but they actually got embedded. What happened was apparently they got embedded in the ship uh, when the ship materialized again because it dematerialized. Then it moved around a little bit apparently or something. They did something and it materialized. He was embedded wow. in the ship and he he was he died. Oh, he died. I, I don't know exactly what they did. If they had to cut him out, I guess they had to. I mean, as gross as that sounds, he would have had to yeah. cut him out, oh, cut him out of the ship. And he, he, he apparently Al said he, he died. That was it. That's all. They have interviews of people who saw what saw some of this happen when the ship rematerialized and just like screaming because it was just something so out, you know, out there, like that he was a part of the actual fibers of the ship. There was no way to you know, to save him. And it was just something yeah, so yeah. traumatic. What I said is that he, they had a feeling, him and his brother had this feeling things were going badly wrong. And they didn't, know, he said, I don't know what, we didn't know what to do exactly, but we couldn't fix it. And all we thought of is to jump overboard. And that's what he did. He said he never, as far as he knows, he never hit the water. He just was gone. And it had something to do with this field that was projected, this kind of a Tesla type field around the ship that was projected and once he kind of broke through that he was gone he moved somewhere which turned out for him ended up on the floor in montauk mm-hmm. in the army base in montauk and then you know then they were like all freaked out because they didn't know how he got there and etc cetera, etc cetera. So. wow that's just an amazing story i mean 
for, for those that kind of think these concepts are so out there and that the government has no idea about things like this, this is really kind of this shows you how not foreign concepts they are and how they very much understand some of these things and, you know, that they've experimented with them. And I, I still feel like our generation doesn't really know. Oh, yeah. about yeah, what absolutely. Yeah. Um, have you actually jumped, either one of you jumped yourself before? I have, I have not. I have not. I mean, I, I have, uh, you know, I talked about, sometimes I talk about the other thing I kind of talk about a little bit is the Merkaba thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that you can travel using the Merkaba. I don't want to discuss exactly how, um, but again, like all this stuff, it's, it's kind of dangerous unless you really know what you're doing because you could end up someplace you don't want to be and you can't get back. So like gentlemen in the ship, you <laughs> know, yeah. Sort of. Sort of like the gentleman in the ship. Sure, absolutely. Well, and you um, don't know the rules and the, the guidelines right, to right. another dimension or location. Right, exactly. So when, when you are in the process of doing something like that, you have to take into consideration that, you know, if you look at the Carlos Castaneda concept that there's 48 laws to this reality, mm-hmm. then you have to figure that wherever you're going may be similar but different. And so if that's the case... There's there's no preparation for that, so it's not something that you take lightly, and it's something that is is not easy to process through. Um, I think you uh, have to have a certain kind of balance in yourself to be able to do something like that, and it's not something that you you do overnight. It's yeah. something that you have to learn how to do, and that's that's something that um, makes all of this very dangerous. Yeah, it's actually very, very dangerous. And speaking on that concept, um, I wanted to ask you guys about, um, have you seen the Randonautica app? and Have you had any experiences with it, um, heard about it? Because I actually have, I wrote a research paper on this. I actually think they are messing with the timelines through this app and tracking people. And um, I think it's very dangerous because during the quarantine, many kids were experimenting with, uh, with this Randonauting. Um, and didn't know what they were getting into and manifested a dead body uh, in a suitcase. And many other people um, did similar things like this. Um, A woman ended up getting raped by trying to put herself in a spooky experience. Uh, That was her intention and ended up, you know, what the universe deems as spooky or, you know, you would, you're inviting that into your timeline and people don't really understand uh, how that works. But um, yeah. What are your guys thoughts on that? Well, the Renault Nautica, I, I watched a couple of video uh, channels on YouTube with people who do it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept for me with the Ouija board, because what you're doing is you're intending something that you don't understand. And if you're not experienced or you're not like if you're not aware of the dangers of what you're trying to intend, if you're not willing to be responsible for that, which most people think it's a game. Yes. They think Ranonautica is a mm-hmm. game. This mm-hmm. is something to do, you know, to because I, I was bored or they were bored or whoever was bored. And then when you intend the paranormal, there is always something waiting to answer back. There's always something looking at you. And with intention, what you're doing is it's kind of like a timeline thing. It's actually kind of, it could be considered jumping in a way because you're intending something in the future and you're getting all these coordinates and these directions to go to this location. 
So there's there's a possibility that these people are being directed to portals, whether they're natural or artificial, we don't know. And then when you intend, there's a lot that goes into that. So, but, and then once you intend it, it's it's there. Yeah. You create something, something exists now in, in the way that you intended it. So people have to be responsible for what they do. And then when this happens to them, as I'm sure you've seen, um, uh, if you've, you've seen any of the videos, they they get all scared and freaked out and they want to figure out, oh, how do I get out of this? Hmm. And, you know, the problem is that anybody can track them, whether it's, you know, something paranormal or not, or just some crazy person tracking them. And then you're giving them all this information and basing it on your location. So if somebody wants to hack in and, and figure out where you are, and that's what some of them are experiencing right now. They actually, there's a couple of channels I follow where they've been hacked into. They've had to get new phone numbers multiple times. They had to get different vehicles and all of that just to produce these shows for entertainment. And it's not really the kind of entertainment that I think is healthy. No, nor do I think um, kids, they're marketing it to kids, you know, like uh, under 18 types, um, 16, you know, 15, 16. Uh, years of age like that that's just extremely irresponsible um from my you know from my point of view i just don't think that kids at that age have um most kids do not have an understanding of what that entails and what can happen to you um and like you were saying rainbow um they want to just get out of it after they experience something like that and that's not really how it works um you have to have sufficient knowledge of what you're doing before you ever do these things. And it's incredibly irresponsible not to. Well, it's the thrill factor. They just want to have, you know, it's the fun house factor. They want to go in and be scared, but what they don't understand it's not a movie and it's not a fun house. It's reality. And they're creating that reality and they don't understand that. Yeah. So they're creating an intention of something really maybe scary and horrible happening to them. Mm-hmm. And then, they don't have the tools or the know-how to get out of the situation. And, and not in every case, you know, do they come out of it unscathed? And I, I just don't think it's a good thing. I, I, I just think that it's like the slender man phenomena yes. where this mass kind of thought process went in and created this mm-hmm. scary guy. And a lot of kids started seeing this scary guy and so Randonautica can do the same thing where it can just bring about like some type of weird frequency or, or energy that can actually exist off of that because so many people are putting their intention on it. Absolutely. What are your thoughts, Mike? Well, you know, my, my thoughts are this. It kind of just proves a point how powerful we are as beings. We are very powerful beings and especially collectively. Okay. We can group of people together and meditate mm-hmm. on something, mm-hmm. etc. We are very, oh, yeah. very powerful. And if people don't realize that, obviously, strange stuff happens. Oh, yeah. And it isn't always good. Uh, there's many good things, you know, you can meditate, a group of people can meditate for very good things, and it will create a good situation. But it works the opposite way, too. I mean, my my only experience in this would be back to the Ouija board. Um Again, I, I in, in my many years of talking to people, uh, there was many experiences where people used it. They would ask me about Ouija boards. And of course, I was completely against them because I know the danger of them. 
And there was one, I remember now when I lived in Tucson, the cu this couple came to me and said, listen, we were playing with a Ouija board last night. And my, my I think it was a sister, they thought it was really a lot of fun and they were having a lot of fun. And suddenly something very dark came and actually attached to one of them. And they were asking me how to get this person fixed or unattached. And I said, honestly, I don't really know. I wish you wouldn't have done that. Uh, you know, you need to take that Ouija board out and bury it and maybe get somebody to do a ceremony over it. Yeah. Uh, but I think finally what happened is I did hook them up or, or get them in touch with a, uh, a shaman that I believe helped them, uh, her, because it was serious. I mean, she was yeah. really had lost her mind, yeah. temporary at least. I was hoping it was temporary. I, I kind of lost touch touch of the people, but man, she was in a bad place. And I know it had to do with that Ouija board. I oh, really do. There are so many instances where people actually have, that, that where I've experienced where people have come in and asked me to help them, yep. where there's that mm -hmm. attachment. Mm -hmm. And then my place as a medicine woman is to go in and I have to deal with this entity or whatever this thing is. And it's just like a dark mass of, of energy, or sometimes it's a hostile human spirit and other times it's, it's something else that's even scarier yeah. so what people need to understand is that the and, and it's just the way that i feel about it is the ouija board is kind of like scrying as well because you can look in a mirror or you can look in water i mean and that's how they did it in the old days you know and the egyptians actually did a lot of scrying in water but the ouija board isn't really any different the victorians made it into a game but you're still you're you're basically looking into the unknown and asking questions and anything, anything can actually answer you back. And the difference between a, a someone who's an amateur or just doing it for fun is that they don't understand that in the old old days, when priests and priestesses would actually go in and do this kind of thing, they knew exactly who they were directing their intention to. The goddess Isis, protection. whoever. Yeah. Yeah, they, they knew. And they, so there's a difference here when you, you know, and then whatever's going to respond back knows that who they're dealing with kind of, kind of gets what's going on here. Yeah. They're not just open to anything. And so how you, you ask and how you actually go into ceremony and how you close out the ceremony says a lot about who you are. Mm -hmm. And so just really nearly playing around with this stuff. And some people don't even know that once you open up a portal or a doorway through a Ouija board or through this random nautica, because you can do that as well with your intention, then what happens that is open forever. And whatever right. this thing is, is always going to be here for somebody else like us to deal with. Yeah. So if I have to get rid of something that somebody brought in, maybe, you know, five Ouija board games ahead, you know, five days ago or whatever, then this thing, if I don't take care of it, it's going to be out there for somebody else to deal with. Yeah. So it, they have to understand that. Yeah, it has to be closed. You yeah. once you open this thing up, you got to close you it. Gotta you got to somebody you gotta find does. A yeah. Ceremony yeah. To close it, or somebody else will, or somebody's going to deal with some craziness. Yeah. And then you don't want to deal with that kind of craziness. It's normally not good. Yeah. And let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I know both of you have worked with Sasquatch, and I know that's a really um, amazing topic I haven't gone into before. Yes, on podcast. yes we I have. Really had anybody experience that. So can you talk a little bit about your experiences and uh, kind of what you guys have gleaned from that? Well, I brought something with me that oh. I thought you might 
find interesting is I I was uh, actually communicate. I had a, a, a Oregonian Sasquatch communicate with me, mm-hmm. and he reached out to me. I got very lucky, and so I drew a, a picture of him. His name is Loki, and I brought it with me. Um, Loki is very special to me because he's a portal jumper. Um, and he, he told me that there's different groups of Sasquatch and that's what his group does. He's about eight to nine feet. He said that's a little short for Sasquatch because they can go, they can be up as 14 to 15 feet, right. even higher. Right. But this is him. I'm going to try to do this. I don't know. Oh, can you see that? Yeah. See. Oh my God. Yeah, if you looks kind of interesting. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to get, get the, the glare. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, Loki. Wow. Yeah. Like that's such a beautiful drawing. Like you see the eyes, like the compassion in his eyes and very much. Uh, yeah. Rainbow yeah. draws a lot of entities. There's many entities that she has contact with. She can draw them. And some of them are absolutely incredible. It's just amazing. Yeah, I try to draw the entities so people can kind of see what they right, look like. Right. So, and feel them, too. Yeah, 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 no, I definitely got the feeling off of that. That's, I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah, yeah. So Loki was... Uh, he, so he, he... Loki would come to me, and he would give me information two or three times in a night, sometimes two o'clock in the morning, sometime, you know, and he would just... And, and it would be stuff that I'd have to get a, a notebook, and I'd have to write all this stuff down. Mm-hmm. And eventually I just told him, I said, this is exhausting. I'm a human. I'm not like you. Maybe I don't, you know, so um, he, he basically gave me a lot of information about portals. Mm-hmm. And I actually did an article for Paranormal Underground. And I it kind of explained what he was telling me about the portals. And he was telling me that there's um, natural portals and there's artificial portals. And then there's another type of portal called the traveling ghost and these are portals that are entities and there's a i think two or three on the planet that have been here a long time they came from another planet Mm -hmm. and these are the ones that kind of uh they they have like a weather element to them and i actually experienced a traveling ghost vortex when i was working cattle in my 20s and um feel all of this electric energy in the air. And I actually smelt blood in my nose and I thought I had a bloody nose all the time. And so did all the other cowboys. We, it was just that, that electric and the cattle, we were dealing with Mexican steers and they were going nuts in the corrals because we were going to take them over to another pasture because they were getting ready to do a, a full roundup. And anyways, the, we had a stampede because the, they, the cattle were so scared. And so we all had to book it out there. And it took about two hours for us to get the cattle back and calm down. But I realized that at this point that the I was off balance. And so I'm, I was like really feeling for my horse as she was galloping because we just had to, to you know try to herd the cattle in and close them off. And and it was just like a fun house experience. And you could feel something over you, sometimes behind you, sometimes to the side of you, and sometimes underneath you. So you would really lose your balance. And I noticed that my horse was kind of standing and walking and moving around like she was drunk. Yeah. And so, I, and I, and being on her, I was so off balance. And so by the time it was all said and done, 
The Cowboys said they'd never experienced anything like that. And Loki told me that that was a time in, in my life where a traveling ghost actually went, went by. And so it alters your time and space and everything. So it stretches everything out. And that's what portals do. When you actually are around a portal, it can stretch out time and space. Colors are stretched and then you get that funhouse feeling. You get really dizzy. You don't feel really good. You have to sit down, that kind of thing. And that's what happened to us when we were actually working cattle. So that was very interesting. But he, he gave me some interesting ideas about portals. And then I met another Sasquatch here in Oregon named Warsha. And Warsha is actually from a tribe that actually is, they're born here. Loki's group, they, they, uh, they're dimensional. So they can be visible. They can do all kinds of stuff. Um, Warsha is not that way. She's just, they're born here. They're the, the Sasquatch that a lot of us probably see, you know, who are just living. And they have a summer camp and a winter camp. And Michael and I used to give her apples and dark chocolate and stuff because she she really likes dark chocolate and so she gifted us this wreath um we we found it and actually michael's the one that saw it yeah it was it was very high up in the tree i mean <laughs> i don't know how it would have got there without being a sasquatch and this yeah. sasquatch would have been pretty tall because the arm length I had to get a very long stick, probably a 10 yeah. foot stick. I just yeah. got lucky to get it out of the tree. So it was way, way up. Wow. It's beautiful. It's, it's absolutely oh, beautiful. And it was just hanging there way up in this tree. And it, uh, I pulled it down and it was just great. It was just great. So it hangs in our house and uh, we yeah. feel the energy. Mike, you've also had an experience where you were touched on the shoulder by a Sasquatch, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, my dear, my dear friend who is still around doing his amazing research, Kiwani Lapsaritis, we were out doing our little, uh, we call them, I always call them mini expeditions because we didn't leave the country or anything, but it was way out in the eastern part of uh, Washington state. And we were on a, we were closer or right on the border of a uh, Native American reservation out there. And so we were in our tent, it was night. We had some kind of minor experiences. We were there for several days. I would say minor experiences where I could talk about, but I, let me go right to the meat of it. So we're, we're there and it was kind of, a, I think it was kind of a moonlit night because the tent was kind of lit up a little bit. And so Kimani was across from me. You could see him laying there and he was snoring. So I know he was there. He wasn't outside of the tent. And then I was laying over here, just kind of listening to him snore and try to get to sleep, I guess. And suddenly I'm laying there and through the tent, I mean, literally through the tent and their dimension, they can do things like go through walls and then go through tents and whatever. An arm, re a hand reached in and it was huge because I could see it. I, did a, I don't want to say that I could turn my head enough to see it on my shoulder. And it was a huge hand. It was all, it was all hairy and it was a Sasquatch. There's no doubt it laid there. It seemed like forever. I'm sure it was only maybe 20, 30 seconds and then pulled it back. And so that was my being touched by a Sasquatch uh, story. Uh, the next day, we were going to uh, eat breakfast. Kiwani, uh, uh, I didn't say anything to him at, at first. And then I, then I said, oh, then he said something because I was asking. I had gone on, on trips with him before. And besides, we did see a lot of footprints and we, we went into vortex. We had some really wonderful vortex experiences. 
but I never saw anything. You know, I never visually saw anything. I actually, later on, I did get a photo, a, a long shot photo of it, which is on our website, but I never really saw anything. So I said, listen, give me the sign. Let me have something a little closer in. And sure enough, you know, he communicates with him and sure enough, this happened and it was undeniable. It was undeniable. So uh, he came, he confessed a little bit. He said, I, I talked to him, I asked him to do something. He said he didn't know what they were going to do, but he wasn't surprised that all something like that happened. So yeah, anyways, wow. that's and Rainbow, you communicate um, telepathically with, um, with Loki and with Warchaw, right? Yes. Um, yeah, they, they both, uh, Loki actually first made contact with me when I was in the shower, which was very uncomfortable. Um, but water is a conduit. So of course it was obvious why he, you know, that he was able to come through. And then what was really interesting with that is there was a lot of bangs and loud noises, so loud. And like, I'm not going to say like bombs going off, like somebody crashed into some, but something like a car. Mm-hmm. So I remember turning the water off a couple of times and looking out the window because I thought, oh, God, there was a crash outside, but there wasn't. And the, the, the house shook a little bit, but I was like, what is going on here? And then that's when Loki came in. He said he introduced himself and, he, you know, he, he said he was a Sasquatch. And I'm like looking around going, oh, my God, I'm like, who is this? You know, so uh, but then he, he actually came into Michael's, uh, his daughter's house when I was here mm-hmm. and actually showed himself to me and he was in the doorway and he's crouching down a little bit. Um, and so I, I did actually get to see him and spent quite a few hours talking with him. And, and that was, and I was really sleeping cool. right next to her. So I didn't <laughs> I wasn't really aware of anything, but this big Sasquatch was right in our, yeah. in our room. So it was pretty, yeah. and, and I was really scared. I mean, I'm not going to say that I wasn't, I mean, you know, just because I've experienced the paranormal all my life doesn't mean when things actually happen, I don't get scared. And I'm like, I had the covers going, Oh my God, you know, but then he calmed me down. He's a he's a lovely Sasquatch. He's he's pretty amazing. He's very stern with me though. Uh, he told me that I was very scattered, and that I needed to kind of pull myself in and um, really kind of, uh, I guess, do med- more meditation or or refocus myself. He said because as a human, I was very scattered, and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. And she's much more. She's very female. Very compassionate not that he's not but she's just very loving and then just she wants to make sure I'm okay mm-hmm. and um, I was very concerned about her when we have the the fires here yeah and they had really hor- horrific fires last year and we were actually evacuated for four days from our home and so I know that affects all the fires affect Sasquatch um because they have to then go move to new locations and that's not always easy but it's it's it, it was pretty scary for all of us, yeah. but she, I think she's fine. We actually did try to go to the location where we, we were doing a lot of our research and we're not going to be allowed to go out that direction. Um, for another year, they've had the highway closed for a year. And there's no way to really get around that. It's really closed. It's, I have, it's a, qu- I have a question. What really is going to happen to most of the Sasquatch with them cutting down the forests and really kind of, you know, just moving more people in that area? What, I mean, did you ever ask? Well, the interesting thing about 
That's a good question. Um, I, I think there's plenty of forests, to be honest with you. I, I really, I mean, they can move to different places. But the interesting thing about Sasquatch, especially the ones that are dimensional, and they seem to be everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had friends, and what Kiwani was an example. He, when he lived in Tucson, that's where I met him in Tucson. He talked about, you know, in his house in the city of Tucson, it materialized right in there. Um, I, I don't think there's there's an issue per se. I mean, I think they love most of them love being in forested areas because they're isolated. They love the forest. I think there's a concentration there, but that doesn't mean they don't pop up and anywhere else it's just like any alien or anything else they'll pop up in the middle of new york city it, you know well, there's a connection with sasquatch and, and humans i mean they're we're very connected to each other so i don't think that it, just my feeling on it that that sasquatch minds people coming in i think that what they mind is their intention and you know, there's there's they don't want to be harmed any more than than we want to be harmed they want to be left alone just like we do um, there's no, there shouldn't be any research done uh, on a Sasquatch body. I'm sorry, I don't agree That's with horrible. that. At all. That's absolutely uh, horrible. What, would any human, I mean, could, would would we want another alien species coming here and saying, "Oh, let's take humans and experiment on them"? Well, we know that that's been going on, and we don't like it one bit. So why would we do to somebody uh, another being? what we don't want done to us, but it's done. I mean, why why not just break that chain and just allow them to be who they are? And I think they would come around to more people if they understood that they're not gonna hurt them. But if you have researchers and Sasquatch hunters who are going out there and wanting to find them- and whatnot, yeah. Yeah, they're not gonna appear and they're not gonna come around. And I, they can they can be involved for a lifetime and they will never see a Sasquatch because they're not going to come around that kind of mindset. Yeah, that's a very, very important point, I think, to know is that you're right. These people will not ever, that that's their intention is to have a Sasquatch experience. Well, you know, you might want to work on doing some inner work and understanding what, what you're trying to achieve because you're never going to get lucky um, and, and experience something as beautiful as you guys have. I haven't myself experienced um, that yet, but um, you know, I, I can see from both of your faces that it was a very, it's been a very beautiful relationship that you've been able to develop with them. Yes. Yeah. And all has to do with respect. I think respect is really important. Yeah. So I, it, I definitely would agree. Um, let's kind of switch. Um, switch again, if you don't mind. And um, let's speak a little bit about um, your experiences with the Black Eyed Children, because I know this is something I often get people asking about, and I haven't really run into anybody that's had any experiences. So um, if you could talk about that a little bit and what? Well, I, I haven't, I, I don't allow them to come to our house. <laughs> I'm like, You're not coming to my house. But um, but David Weatherly did a really good book on the Black Eyed Children. And so that's pretty phenomenal, but I have looked into them because I think there's a correlation or a connection to them and the men in black. And that's in, in, in the men and women in black, there's women in black too. So I think there's a connection between the two. Now, the one thing that I find very interesting about, about the black eyed kids is that they have to be invited in like a vampire. So I find that that connection between the vampirism and and black eyed children is really interesting. I mean, it's like 
it's almost like they're barred. I mean, like until you say, yes, you can come into my house. They can't come in. Literally, they cannot come in. And so the people who, who've actually experienced the black eyed children have this deep core fear of, for, you know, the foreboding kind, the fight or flight kind of energy and experience where you're like going, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? And sometimes these kids can get into their minds and actually get them, let them in, you know, and then these people get very sick. Um, these people um, can't remember their minds blocked. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the doors open, they, they come to the doors open and the kids are gone. And then they have uh, ill health, their animals end up dying. Um, and they have strange things happening to them after that. Do you think the rainbow that they're just interdimensional beings? What do you think their agenda really is with humans? I think they're energy uh, vampires. vampires. And mm-hmm. I, but I also think that they're, they're kind of like a trickster. I think there's something else connected to them. And I think they're a byproduct of uh, some other type of entity that is, is made them more human-like mm-hmm. so that they can kind of come into society and not like attract a lot of attention. The only way that people know they're, they're not normal is by their black eyes. They have, they're completely black and they try to hide their eyes. So I think that it's nefarious because I I think that that I don't even it, I could understand if it's like an energy vampire just come and suck your energy away and you get really tired and you're like oh my god this feels terrible but there's people who get horrifically sick and some people who are really dangerously sick animals die so I'm not understanding and that's part of our research is to why bad things happen to people after they're in contact with the black eyed kids and they, and some of them who let them in, uh, that that's the big question here is I'm trying to figure out what really they are, because I think we can say, yeah, energy vampire, but there's something more sinister about them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe it'd be important to ask like, uh, intergenerationally, like what's happening to the kid? Are they able to have children? Like, is there something that they're corrupting from us or taking from us the ability to appropriate things like that um, and to see what's passed down? If there's any of these, you know, um, I guess, uh, concepts or sicknesses and things like that that are passed down, is it something that's corrupting our DNA? I think those are all really interesting um, areas that we need to research a bit more. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. But you guys have actually met people who have, let them in. Is that correct? Well, I mean, in my case, uh, and this is kind of more of a local thing that happened recently uh, on one of the, you know, the neighborhood website. I don't remember what they call next door or something like that, where mm-hmm. a group of people mm-hmm. together. They're all over the country, I think. But anyways, all of a sudden there was this thing that appeared. It was like, it, you know, I, I'm sure that 99.9% of the people didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about this group of children. There was, it was small kids. It was just weird. And it would come at like dark, like nine o'clock at night. And they were, they were selling, they were trying to sell somebody on getting into their house and uh, cleaning their carpet with Dawn soap. They had a <laughs> bottle of Dawn soap and it said, this stuff will really clean your carpet. We have to get in and we have to get in. It was really excuse me, it was really like bizarre because they were very aggressive. At first they started out 
non-aggressive, which is very difficult. They're very nice. Say, oh, we, you know, we got to come in for some reason. Now, this particular reason was this Dawn Soap deal, which, which was so <laughs> funny. And the, and the people said it was, you know, there were several people that responded and they all had the same thing. They said it was so bizarre because they had this bottle of Dawn Soap and it was like, are you kidding me? You want to come in my house? They're thinking this. Yeah. My house and yeah. do that. Now, they did say they look strange. Now, they didn't say they had the black eyes. They didn't say that. I think one did say that um, they just look, they, they look weird in their dress and they look a little strange. That's all they said. But I know dang well, these were black eyed children. I really did. Now, they did it at night. So you know, if it was dark, if the light at the porch was not real bright, they're not going to see those dark eyes, right? They could hear their voices, but they couldn't see their eyes. So maybe that's another reason it happens. Yeah. But they also said, why did they come at, you know, forgetting about all this other stuff? It was dark, nine o'clock, and they're coming, they want to come in our house. And they were very aggressive. Several of them, I think, well, out of two of them, I think one one talked to them for a while. And almost he that person said, I almost let him in. And I don't even know why I almost <laughs> let him in because it was so ridiculous of a story. <laughs> you know, but they were very persistent. I remember saying it was very persistent. And then they Remember, the one guy said something about them walking back and there was a car there waiting for them. And they jumped in the car and they were gone and they never saw him yeah. again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I knew in my heart what, what was going on. But I really yeah. I, I try to contact individually, contact those people, but they never would. And maybe I told them too much. That was maybe my problem because yeah. I sent them an email or through this this uh, next door thing. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, I'm a researcher. This was kind of interesting, these kids that came to your door, and I probably spooked them. Yeah. So I didn't get a chance to, which is unfortunate. I mean, if it would have been a neighbor or something that came to me and told me the story, well, it's different. You kind of know who this person is, right. that relationship. Yeah. Because one of the things I find out is that all my years of doing research, and I've been in the logistics field and, and et cetera, et cetera, it seems like whenever you build your relationship up with people, that's when they start telling you things yeah, that they're past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> what I found out over all my years, most everybody that I have personally come in contact, if I sit with them and talk to them, they all had some experiences of some sort. Now that doesn't mean alien. It may be aliens. It could be black eyed children. It could be men in black. It could be we people. I can go on angels, fairies. Angels, fairies. Yeah. Something has always touched them in some way. And most people have this story. That's why this is so fascinating to be yeah. able to come out and talk about it because there's people out there. I guarantee you almost everybody that could say, just sit there and think about it or, or, or think about those. I always call it the vivid memories. Yeah. Vivid memories are so important and it can be the silliest vivid memory, but it is an indicator that you've had an experience of some sort. Absolutely. And speaking about experiences, um, both of you have had uh, ET experiences. Can you speak about them a little bit? Well, I had them from the time I was a child. Um, it just seemed natural. Mm -hmm. uh, I had experiences um, with other children. I went to a, uh, a Catholic school when I was very, well, for the first grade. And I remember being... Um, bust out mm -hmm. uh, in a light blue uh, with a light blue bus and probably about six other kids with me mm -hmm. and um and and just going off and doing stuff 
And uh, I also remember working with the Greys and learning how, how to levitate. That was interesting. Um, I remember uh, them training me and teaching me things. Um, a lot of it is blocked out. I don't remember uh, like in detail. I remember a mantid being in a classroom with a mantid with a bunch of other kids. And they're very stern. And I don't, you know, they're, they're bring like more, mantis. Yeah. They, yeah. But that, but the, we call them mantids. mantids. And so probably about six or seven other kids were always with me and boys and girls. Um, and then I have a, a very vivid memory that kind of came back to me when I was 40 years old uh, being on the west side of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and seeing a, a, a quite a few, probably three or four big UFOs, crafts that were on the ground and a, a lot of children being lined up and being taken into these crafts. And I remember uh, being thinking we were going to go for a ride, like like a, at the fairgrounds. And uh, a mantid was in front of me, and he said, "No, the children are being taken; they're not coming back." And I remember I froze and I was in terror that that they were going to pick me and take me, and they didn't. But there was a a, a little boy. Uh, who was a couple of years older than me, who I had a little crush on and actually did pick him to go. And I was, just, I was, it was horrible because I thought, oh my God, he's not coming back. And he was excited. He thought he was going to go. And I, I, maybe he thought he was going to come back, but um, from what this man had told me, he, you know, the kids weren't coming back and they took a lot of kids that day. And so I've, I've, since that time of that memory coming back to me, I've been looking to talk to people who might have had the same memory. And when I went to uh, Michael's group, when I, I was actually invited to talk, a woman actually got in contact with me from the, that, that particular, um, uh, I guess, lecture that I did, and she remembered it. So mm -hmm. I was able to find one person who had the same memory as me of being over there and her fear of of being taken and so we kind of talked about our memories and but she's the only one that i've had uh contact with who actually was there i don't know about anybody else what happened to the kids did you like did they just disappear i mean what kind of what became of that well i think this is where um genetics comes into play i think they were taking the children and i think that for the ones that they kept, they created um, uh, like doppelgangers from them mm -hmm. and maybe sent them back. But it was all about the genetics. I just remember this man had saying these particular children that they were taking had something different about them that mm -hmm. attracted them to these children that they needed. It was something that was needed. And that's just at this point, that's all I can remember. Wow. So, yeah, and they're probably creating, I mean, think about the timing. There's so many hybrids on planet right now on Earth that don't really know, you know, I mean, that's quite possible that that's what they were doing is creating the hybrids. Well, the, I think uh, I think I'm a hybrid. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of can relate to that. But what I think they were doing with these children was something really even further than that. Right. They were something from these children they needed 
And so they, they were, and I don't, and I can't even guess what happened to the kids, but I do know that the children who were being taken were not coming back. I don't think that, uh, I think the mantid that told me this, Mm -hmm. this because it knew that I wasn't being taken because I had, I was traumatized after that. Uh, Every time I went to the West side for a softball game or anything, I, I, it was really sad. I would, I would pee on myself just like a a scared puppy dog um, because I would have this memory would all of a sudden come back and hit. And then I would be walking around and all of a sudden my, my sister would go, why didn't you just tell us you needed to use the bathroom? And I'd be going, well, I don't know. But it was just that fear factor where I just couldn't contain. I had a fear of, of uh, being taken away being abducted when I was very, very young. And it had to do with a lot of this stuff that happened. So with the, the experiences that I had, and I'm not, I'll let Michael talk now. Um, a lot of it was fear-based as well. And then from a very young age too, I dealt with the men in black, but they, they did some training with me, which is very, you don't really hear about that very often. But they did do some training with me. And so I, I don't really view them in a, in that scared way. Mm-hmm. I just view them as like, Oh God, my teachers are back. That kind of thing. Interesting. So, so my experience, uh, I've had some experiences, uh, some of them I'm sure that I can't remember, but I, I believe I can feel they're there. Mm-hmm. I did have one. I, I remember it's kind of a more of a vivid memory that I I've talked about before. I I was, you know, I've been doing this research since I was, you know, like a teenager, basically, you know, initially was really just reading a lot. And then I started doing in field research. So I've been kind of involved for a very long time. And probably in my 30s, I lived in, uh, uh, in uh, Georgia. And uh, I remember having a thought in my mind. Um, and the, the thought, I'm not even going to repeat the thought, I really don't want to, because mm-hmm. it apparently got me in trouble. I can kind of tell you, it was a real basic, weird thought. Mm-hmm. And just anybody could think this thought, but apparently when you think it, it's again, a kind of a creation thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I don't know what I was thinking. It was, it was, I'll tell you, it's related to religion. It was some kind of a religious thought. Okay. And I thought about it. And apparently I wasn't supposed to understand this truth about life. And because of that, I ended up, I was in my house and suddenly I had this terrible feeling that something was coming for me. So I went outside, I, I, it, something drew me outside. So I went outside and in the backyard, I'll never forget this, there were three alien beings. And I think one was looked to me, if I can remember correctly, it was kind of a gray. And the other one was definitely a reptilian a very large, aggressive, horrible looking reptilian. And I, maybe the other one was an insectoid. I'm not sure, but they, they were whatever it was, except for the gray, the gray was not that scary. The other two were very good. Yeah. It were challenging me because they either want to scare the hell out of me. So I never would think this thought again. I, I don't know, but I don't know. I think I was just a very fearless person. I always have been in many ways. And I just challenged them. I said, go ahead, go ahead, do what you got to do. But that's, that's what I believe in. And I, you know, it was 
whatever it was, it was just strange. That and they the would thing be, is, they can't really do much to you when you come from that frame of mind. I mean, the worst they could do is kill me. And you know what? I'm not afraid of dying. So yes. it, doesn't, <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. So once I took that away from me, they just vanished. Yep. It was just like, you know, I, I was I had this ability and power because one of the things I've always known and mm-hmm. I came to know over the years is that fear is absolutely the worst thing with with some of these beings, especially the reptilians, because that's what they feed off of. And if you take that away, they have nothing. So you have to be fearless. If you are fearless among, now I'm not saying all of them are are on this fear thing, but many of them use the fear Mm -hmm. as their energy source. And that's why I believe, and that's why there is this thing called uh, Monsters, Inc., the whole movie thing <laughs> that my name is a base. Explain, explain that because I love the story. I was cracking up the other day, like just too amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's another one of these crazy stories about my life. So I guess it was probably about 15 years before the movie Monsters Inc. came out. Okay. So I wrote this, uh, I, I, I wrote a little article. It wasn't much of anything, but it was a, an article, maybe one page. Uh, about why I felt somebody had just asked me a question. Why do you feel aliens are here? And so I've been thinking about this for years. And I said, Oh, well, I'm going to, I'll write it and I'll send it to you and you can post it on your little site, which I don't even remember the name of the site. Cause it's been so many years ago. And so I, I basically, this, this story was what I wrote about was this whole thing about the fear and that the aliens were here to collect this energy that we gave up. Then the energy could come from things like, uh, being afraid, uh, uh, emotional energy, even happiness, any type of energy, sexual energy, all different types of energies that humans are quite unique produce. And what, what I thought about was, you know what? If these aliens are here and among us, they could be creating wars. They could be creating all this stuff that has this extremely intense energy, right? Yeah. So they, you have even more of this stuff to collect. So they're here collecting as much as they can. And if you remember in the movie, Monsters, that's what they do. They yeah. ended up having these little cylinders that they suck this kid screaming and all kinds of stuff. They suck it and they keep it. And then they use it for whatever they use it for, right? As power, so that's what I, cool, yeah? mm-hmm. probably, I probably wouldn't have thought too much more about it, even if the movie came out or the movie did come out, of course. And, but then when my name was there and my name basically... <laughs> Is the main character and has said more than any other name in any other movie ever made. It was so weird. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. it the synchronicity was way crazy over the top. <laughs> on top of it, the story continues, which I already told you, is that I worked for the Olympics in a couple of different places. But the first place I worked for, I, I befriended a bunch of people from Europe. The second place, which was in Utah, I did that Olympics. And those people in Europe who weren't really at the games at the time, uh, the second time they, they come to one and then they go back to Europe. Uh, they would send me these little packages with the little Mike Wazowski dolls in it. And I didn't know at first I was getting these dolls and I didn't know what the hell they were sending me the dolls for. And come to find out, Kirsten, come to find out the movie released in Europe first. And they saw it and they saw my name and they got all excited. Oh my God, I know this guy, right? And so they, they didn't know the background story at all. And that made me even more crazy. 
So they get these dolls and I'm looking, I don't know what the heck they are, but somebody sent me a freaking doll. I don't know. I'm putting them aside. I got three of these things. Finally, oh I decided well, I got to call somebody. So I finally got a hold of one of the guys. In fact, I think that one of the guys ended up coming to the games in Salt Lake City later on. It was one, he was kind of a latecomer. I think. So he was doing some work there, doing something. And he says, Oh, yeah, did you get my doll I sent you? And I said, yeah, I got the doll. What the hell is it? So, anyway, so he tells me the story, and I'm starting to get a little freaked out because I'm starting to put all this together. Here's my name. Here's this. Holy crap, you know? So anyways, that that's kind of the story, and it's still a, kind of an anomaly. Oh, there's more. Wait, there's more to the story. So anyways, I'm a, I'm a logistics guy, so I happen to end up working for Disney. One of the warehouse, I did work for Disney. I mean, when I worked for Disney, I didn't work for Disney, but I did contract work for Disney. So anyways, I'm there and they hear my name and they they grab me and they're touring me around. Some guy came from uh, some head guy for their logistics. He's touring me around the warehouse and he's picking up the dolls. Oh, here's Mike Wazowski, a real Mike Wazowski. Here's the doll. And he's going like freaking, freaking out. And I'm just embarrassed as hell because they're touring me around. They they found kind of the look on your face, like <laughs> so. Anyways, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. Oh, that's uh, I just love that. That's absolutely hilarious. I can just picture the look on your face, like what is going on here? I know <laughs> it's some alternate dimension. That was connecting between me and these dolls. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> Well, I think on that note, um, we'll wrap up. That was definitely uh, that was one that uh, that people can laugh about. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you guys so much. It was wonderful having you on. And obviously, we're going to keep in touch, and um, we'll have to have you back. And um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.